Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. If you do not want these human jerks spoiling the movie, stop the recording. Hello and welcome back, uh, or possibly for the first time, to The Movie Trap. Uh, I am one of your three uh, hosts, Zach Powers. I am joined, as I always am, by Chris Boroff. Howdy. And Russell Carlson. Hello, hello, hello. And this time we have a very special guest. Uh, It is Russell's twin brother, so if you're listening to this in audio format... Good fucking luck telling what part. Uh, it is Richard Carlson uh, joining us this time. If they mm-hmm. move, kill him. It's going to be a real yeah, prestige I, I, on your ears today. Yeah, I, I had to uh, I had to bring in Richard because I'm not going to lie. He was sort of the impetus for this theme. Uh, to Don't real put this quick, on me. Yeah, this, the- I, I advised you against this. <laughs> yeah, Don't I put know. this on me. Well, you're the one who said I should pick the wild bunch. Um, so... The, the premise of the podcast is one of us picks a theme and then each one of the hosts picks a movie based on that theme. At the end of the three rounds, we will vote uh, with our allocated 10 points on which was the best for whatever reason we want to come up with. And whoever wins picks the next theme. And uh, uh, if you are uh, joining us for the first time, you've chosen a good episode to do so because this is the first in a round of three. Indeed. Uh, this one picked by Russell himself. Russell, what was the theme you picked? The theme was acclaimed American filmmaker Sam Peckinpah. Yeah. Uh, and, and the then, movie I chose, because I'm a huge, huge, huge asshole, was uh, arguably his best movie. Not arguably. The Wild Bunch. I suggest that the true theme this time is that Russell really likes to win. <laughs> yeah, I think Russell is the first. He is the first bad. This is like the beginning of the end of the democracy, where Russell can yeah. now just go. He's, oh, he's never letting it go. You know, yeah. bad faith and, pick mm-hmm. like narrow, yeah. narrow, narrow yeah. categories. Choose the mm-hmm. clear winner, clear best one, and constantly retain power. I, I, yeah, please. Um, He's 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 not to the point of Caligula, but he's definitely a Nero. There's something going on with this. Yeah. If it makes you feel any better, uh, like Pike in this movie, uh, I, even though it was a dastardly heist, I still feel hollow and empty and devoid of any human satisfaction. So if that is any consolation. No, I, I did uh, do my, re- I'll get, we'll get to our picks at the end, but I did my research and, and there's not a hundred percent consensus that this is his best movie. So you know, I tried to pick. I tried to pick something that seemed like it could could give you at least a run for your money. But we'll see. Okay, how it goes. Uh, we'll save hey, that to the end. Like I said, um, I am not a, right. My brother. The part of the reason why I brought Richard on here is because he's much more of a Peck and Paw enthusiast than I am, and I don't. I'm not as well versed with Sam Peck and Paw as he is. So that's sort of the reason why I want to do this because I'll be going into a lot of these movies blind as well. So yeah, uh, um, we could, I, well, I'm kind of having fun with it on that respect. I want to briefly say well, first and foremost, uh, during the course of this episode, you may hear uh, occasionally one of us uh, saying you get a point for that or something along those lines. Each of us has a well of three points that uh, we can dish out to whomever we want for whatever reason we want uh, over the course of these three rounds. Uh, Richard, 
As our guest, I think it's customary that you also get three points if you want to deliver any points. Oh, that's awful decent of you. I was planning on just being out of it and just letting you guys fight amongst each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that I introduced breaking that rule pretty hard, so we're just rolling with it. (laughs) (laughs) I believe that's what we did with Brian Flynn. It feels like it's Mm -hmm. nice to give the guest a little something uh, to Mm -hmm. contribute for the... Sure. Sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and if if time allows, I think Richard wants to do the whole peck and paw round, so he might be with us through the bitter, bitter end. Yeah, I don't um, trust you guys to talk about Peck and Paw without me. Okay, Sorry. well, if that happens, maybe save some of your points because you're not going to get more next you time. You got it. <laughs> three for the whole round, but you'll be um, allowed to vote at the end. Um, um, so anyway, yeah, the theme is Sam Peck and Paw. This movie is 1969's The Wild Bunch. Yeah. Uh, it is stars William Holden, Ernest Borgnine, Edmund O'Brien, and Robert Ryan. Uh, Zach, why don't you go ahead and summarize this is actually a pretty long movie to plot out too because yeah, i think this, this is, is the longest movie we've done thus it far. is the longest movie we've watched for this show so far um it's nearly two and a half hours um so uh, i'll run through the uh the plot with uh, a fair bit of speed i might omit minor details here and there in the interest of time but uh the film opens in uh 1913 um which is interesting for a western i mean this is a year before world war one it's the tail end of the Wild West era. By some metrics, it's after the Wild West era has more or less ended. And uh, we're introduced uh, fairly immediately to a group of aging uh, outlaws, or at least the, the, the folks running the show are, are showing their age quite a bit. Um, planning a heist of a railway station that supposedly has some silver uh, in a small western town. Um, they... Uh, they surreptitiously invade the railway station in disguise as military men uh, and take people hostage, but it's quickly revealed that they are being watched uh, by a group of bounty hunters um, who are set on uh, waylaying their nefarious scheme. Um, uh, Pretty quickly, uh, what happens is it devolves into uh, a shootout after the outlaws try to get away during a temperance parade. Doesn't work. There's a massive shootout. Several of the outlaws die. A couple of the bounty hunters die. And numerous civilians are also killed uh, in the carnage. Um, but most of the uh, the wild bunch, uh, as we'll call them, uh, manage to escape. Um, at this point, uh, we kind of get to know a few of the wild bunch uh, characters. The leader of the outfit is Willem Holden as Pike Bishop. Uh, who's an aging outlaw. He wanted this to be his one last score before he got out of the game, but of course, didn't quite work out. Um, He's got his long-term friend, uh, Dutch, played by Ernest Borgnine, and of course, uh, they got Lyle and Tector Gorch. Gorch Brothers. Yeah, sort of a comedic relief, Lyle in particular. I think that's Um, fair. Comedy in this movie is very strange, but we'll get it into is that very later. Strange. Yeah. We'll have to talk about some of the comedy scenes. Yeah, and uh, and a uh, Mexican man named Angel is also in the group. Um, well, interesting, Lyle and Tector Gorch. I didn't know this was a reference to this movie. There is an episode of Buffy where she fights mm-hmm. a cowboy, couple cowboy vampires named Lyle and Tector Gorch. Love interest name of Angel too. Warren Oates yeah. and Ben Johnson yeah. too, who are two. Peck and Paw players, and they're yeah. brilliant in it. Warren Oates, I'm becoming such a fan of Warren Oates, and I want to start digging into his filmography, because he's actually really, really good. Yeah. 
But yeah. it's quickly revealed that the leader of the bounty hunters is a man named Deke Thornton, who used to work uh, with Pike Bishop as his partner uh, some years ago before being arrested. And he has been uh, taken out of prison uh, on the contingency that he uh, basically catch Pike and the rest of the bunch. Uh, and then he will be given his freedom if he fails to do so. Uh, within 30 days at this point. He will be sent back to prison. Uh, he's kind of being handled by this very corrupt railway man who clearly doesn't give a shit about the loss of human life. He just yeah. wants to catch these robbers. Mm -hmm. probably Complete fantasy. Yeah. Total <laughs> fantasy. No, that was... Uh, <laughs> that guy was played, I believe, by Edmund O'Brien. That was his... Uh, no, Edmund O'Brien no, was, no, was, was the old man Sykes, was the older Sykes? guy who they meet up with later. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Never mind. They, I got it wrong. They, who well, is I just they? remember, that was one of the details. Like, oh, it was Albert Decker. That's who it was. Yeah, he Albert Decker. Yeah, Albert Decker. He, yeah, he, he passed Harrington. away Mr. just Harrington, a couple yeah. months after this. Yeah, yeah. 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 This was yep. his last movie. Um, yeah, so uh, the Wild Bunch... Uh, Alex to get out of get out of town, head down to Mexico, uh, and sort of figure out where to go from there. Uh, on the way, they meet up with the aforementioned Freddie Sykes, uh, friend of Pike's, who's played um, by who is it? Uh, Edmund O'Brien, as we mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, sort of an old crazy man. Um, <laughs> and uh, they head uh, head down to Angel's hometown. Um, and we find that it's the middle of the Mexican Revolution. This town is being squeezed by the, the federales trying to stop Pancho Villa. Um, by Mapache. Ponche. Ponche. Ponche? Ponche. Ponche. Ponche is the general. Oh, the bad guy. Mapache is the general, yes. Pancho uh, Villa is the revolutionary. Yeah, he yeah. does not appear in this film. But, uh, no, no. <laughs> Uh, they they eventually make their way to the general of the federales, the, the aforementioned Mapache, uh, who is uh, they they figure they can maybe make a deal with him to get some money. Things go slightly awry early on when Angel sees that his former girlfriend is now with Mapache. Uh, he loses his temper and shoots his girlfriend while Mapache is literally holding her in his lap. Um. They managed to smooth over the situation and say that, all right, you can work with us. We will uh, basically steal a bunch of American weaponry for you to help give you the edge in this war because uh, they're kind of sweating it against the revolutionaries at this point. They strike a deal to do so, all the while uh, Deke is on their tail trying to chase him down to Mexico. Uh, so they, they cook up this scheme. Uh, where they find the train that ha is transporting all the weaponry. And so they uh, have a plan to detach some of the cars uh, holding all the troops and run away with the uh, the actual weaponry, unload it onto a carriage and send the trains back to the cars carrying the, uh, the troops, the American troops. Um, and it goes okay at first. Uh, they are not detected for a little while, but Deke eventually notices something is wrong and he and his men come after them on horseback. Uh, a uh, horse-based chase uh, ensues, and ultimately the Wild Bunch escape when they blow up a bridge, preventing Deke and the American soldiers from following them any further. Can't have a Western without blowing up a bridge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just part of the, part of the deal. <laughs> also, I just wanted to, like, um, one thing in there real quick. That when, they, uh, when he kills his uh, girlfriend, who's now sitting on Mapache's lap, that scene ends with a big uproarious mm -hmm. laugh. 
just an important thing to point out. The entire Mexican army starts laughing that he just murdered a woman sitting on the other man's lap. Just a very strange moment. Uh huh. They think that he was trying to kill Mapache at first, and then he says, no, no, he was just trying to kill her, and everybody has a good time. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We did that last week. It was hysterical. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, they, uh, Angel has, unbeknownst to the rest of the Wild Bunch, agreed to siphon off some of the weapons, basically, and give them to a few revolutionaries who will protect his hometown from the Federales. Um uh, ultimately, Pike sort of accepts this. Uh, I think uh, Angel forfeits. Yeah, his yeah. Part it, it, of the was, it was. It was. They agreed to it in the sauna. They said like it was the only way Angel would agree to work for Mapache. Right. Right. Yeah. Is that they said? All right. Well, we we're getting thirteen crates. What if we just bring back twelve? Yeah. You know. And so that was that was the de- yeah. that was the only so, way Mapot well, Angel they, went mm-hmm. wrong with it. So with they the have twelve crates of rifles, some grenades, and a machine gun with infinite ammo. It is a Western after all. (laughs) So they uh, meet up with some of Mapache's um, troops, but immediately it's clear that these groups do not trust each other. Uh, The Wild Bunch has rigged up the car to explode and set up the machine gun in case they get double crossed by Mapache's people. Uh, They manage to get back to Mapache and it seems like uh, everything's going to plan, but it turns out Mapache uh, has figured out that uh, some of these some of these weapons have ended up in the hands of revolutionaries and uh, realizes pretty puts together pretty quickly because of the village that Angel is probably to blame. And uh, so during the gradual transition of the weapons, uh, Mapache takes Angel uh, as a prisoner, um, sending Ernest Borgnine back to give them the news about the same time. Uh, Sykes, while rustling up some horses, is shot in the leg uh, by Deke uh, Thornton's people and has to flee into the mountains. Um, and the rest of the Wild Bunch heads back to Mapache uh, and with the mind to get Angel back. They find he's being tortured. He's being dragged behind Mapache's car um, and is, you know, dying of dehydration and torture by being dragged and things like that. Uh, so, uh, after a bit of revelry, um, they... <laughs> There's a lot of revelry in this movie. It's a yeah. lot of drinking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, for a movie with a lot of stuff happening, there is a whole lot of just hanging out with the boys, tying one on. It's a little strange. music and just <laughs> yeah, yeah. out. Uh, after a bit of revelry, they, uh, approach Papache again, demanding Angel back. It appears Papache might agree and give back Angel, but at the last minute, slits his throat instead, at which point the Wild Bunch immediately riddles him with bullets. Um, And for a moment, everyone is still unsure of what to do. They kind of realize, the Wild Bunch realizes, okay, we're in the shit now. They kill this German advisor who had been working with Mapache. I love that. That's a great bit of history that, like, there's this random guy who works for the Kaiser is just, like, hanging out there and trying to beat back this revolution. You know, know, imperialism, man, it was everywhere. It was was still the rage. A massive gunfight ensues where the Wild Bunch manages to kill basically this entire fort of... uh, federales mostly using the aforementioned machine gun but in the process uh each and every one of them is killed as well it seems like there's almost no survivors to this uh this rampage yeah. uh, later deke shows up uh and his scummy band of bounty hunters his amoral bounty hunters 
are are happy to finally have the bodies they could take back for their bounty. Uh, Deke lets them go and stays behind, seemingly knowing that uh, they'll probably be ambushed by the revolutionaries uh, whom Sykes has now joined uh, on their way back. Sykes and Thornton uh, meet up, and Sykes offers to let Thornton join the revolution with him. He agrees to do so, and they head off, Sykes laughing madly as the <laughs> as the movie it, ends. It ain't what it used mm-hmm. to be, but it'll do. And that's God more damn, or less the rundown <laughs> of, of, the, of the wildlife. That summary just makes me want to watch it again. Um, uh, yeah, this is Richard, I think, has seen this movie no less than north of 10 times. Um, I think it's definitely oh, one of his favorites. Yeah, I can mm-hmm. watch it anytime at any point. Um, if it's on like TCM or something, I'm, it doesn't matter the point of it. I'll probably stick it. It, it uh, is strange because, like, it, I, I this is the second movie that I've chosen that John Wayne hated, so I'm oh, okay with that. John uh, Wayne did hate this. John Wayne hated this movie. Oh, he said it killed it, uh, the American Western. All the Western. King's Man? Was that all the yeah. King's Man, yeah, he hated that one, too, because um, of yeah, all the Tommy is, shit. Is well, Russell, your play was just to take subtle, throw as much shade yeah, into I, John I, Wayne I, as I, possible. It's, it's a lifelong goal. <laughs> well, Old um, Marion. I mean, it's, a non, yeah. it's not a nostalgic movie, so that's probably the reason no. John Wayne didn't like it. It, it went no, against yeah. what his whole brand was. His whole brand was, not, isn't uh, America great? Wasn't America always great? Not, it's, hey, isn't America kind of fucked? Wasn't it always kind of fucked? He has a problem doing that. far more in the vein of the kind of Western you'd see from a Sergio Leone Mm-hmm. Um, yes. where it's a bunch of violent men in violent times and it's not really like as romanticized like you'll get the backdrop of the civil war and things like the good the bad and the ugly and the mexican revolution here uh it's not so much in the vein of those john wayne like uh the nobility of the 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 cowboy the lone man yeah right yeah, there, there's this kind of rugged individualism that's celebrated and romanticized in westerns and not that yeah. you know I, I i i kind of push back that this movie isn't nostalgic because the, all of these characters are from a bygone era at the time of this movie you know so there is this sort of kind of whimsy about the way things used to be uh yeah. the thing is is i'll say that it's it's I would say that it's not nostalgic in the same way then. Like it's it it does remember those characters. Sure. However, in no. like it, it's, we watched yeah. yeah, we watched like I, Once Upon a Time in the West, right? And like we did that mm-hmm. like all the way back on the other film concussion or when it was film yeah. concussion. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And the thing with that is that they had a lot of scenes that I think I vaguely remember talking about this, is that they had all these scenes that really fetishize the technology that they were using at the time. They wouldn't mm-hmm. just have people wander into town and do their business. They would be like, Oh, here's a here's a you know, here's a cart, here's someone dealing with a horse, here's someone dealing with water. And there was all these things where it was really obsessed with like the whole setting the world up and kind of getting you into that. This one, it was just like the first thing you see is them getting into a gunfight and a whole bunch of temperance people dying. And it wasn't, you know, the temperance yep. thing kind of set up the time period, but the death was not yeah. what you really expected to see first thing going and into the, like a Western. The- I wanted to talk about because, you know, uh, the, in that opening scene, you know what, that because there's this that cuts, but there's a lot of cuts in this movie. This movie yeah. is very he kind frantic. Of, yeah. He took the French. I mean, that's one of the reasons why it kind of because this movie wasn't a huge hit in America, per se, not until they had like a limited release, but it was really big in Europe. And that was mostly because Sam Peckinpah was using those French New Wave editing techniques. I mean, Fra- Sam Peckinpah was as involved in the editing room as anyone. Yeah, uh, and that sort of quick cut, especially quick cut to regular speed to varying the speeds that you're cutting in between, 
And um, I'll, I'd say right off the bat, uh, I know Russell wants to talk about this guy holding hostages in the station, I believe. Um, but, Bo Hopkins. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, I also want to say in the opening credits, as early as the opening credits, which uh, I actually enjoyed a lot, I really liked that technique of the freeze frame and Bob it kind of becomes oh, like so a fucking portrait. badass. And they have this image that is at the beginning and end of the opening of these kids watching ants eat a yes. scorpion. Yes. And then they eventually so, put some brush on it with the intention of setting it on fire. Right. And it's a beautiful, it creates like a beautiful metaphor of what the film's actually going to be about. And apparently that idea came from the actor who plays Mapache. Uh, the actor who plays Mapache is actually a, a was actually a pretty well-known um, Mexican writer-director uh, in Mexico. And he is, apparently his personality is exactly what you see as Mapache. <laughs> it, it was like, I mean, it was, you know, drinking and whatever. And of course, so Sam Peckinpah, of course, got along famously with the guy. Um, uh, and he came, he said, oh yeah, you know, when we were kids, we used to do that. And Sam Peckinpah is like, because Sam Peckinpah was not, he was not a guy who was famous for his pre-planning of shit. He would just kind of, if, if something felt right at the day, that's what was going to be shot. And apparently that that whole segment of the scorpions on the ants, you know, because it's it, the image is you see ah. a scorpion fighting its first life being swarmed by ants. And then what happens eventually? The kids just light everything on fire, you know, and it's like, you know, you can get in real heady about this. Is that like the ant, the, the scorpions are the wild that, bunch, the ants are the soldiers and the kids are the audience because we're that, just eh, we're going to light them all on fire. That's you know? fucking interesting to me because it honestly, when you think of the way in this movie, the way Sam Peckinpah cuts back to things of nature, it reminds me of Werner Herzog. You know, Herzog would do that a lot, you know, like, and I, I, I've never considered that before, but that is so true that like the way Herzog and Peckinpah intercut scenes of nature are not necessarily to make you feel good or how beautiful it is. It's usually something very ugly and something very uh, violent. Werner Herzog uses a similar technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's about nature and then even the way that like at the end shot when it's uh, Thornton waiting at the end it's the only time uh, where you see like weather happen like there's like this oncoming storm that's coming and Thornton's just kind of this lonely character there and it's sort of implying that there's this threshing maw of progress coming to devour everybody and all you could do is just kind of either join with it or fight against it. I think it's fair to say that uh, like so the use of technology in this film I think there's two fairly prominent ones one is mapache's car uh which Mm. is used to drag angel and i think the other real technological advantage something they had never seen before is the machine gun which just mows people down like at the end it's like the the technology in this film is ultimately extremely destructive it's a year Mm -hmm. before world war one right coming 20 you know that's it's it was unlike anything most westerns had done before you know like the, it was you you're t- you, i mean you're looking at pike his main weapon is just like a 45 that i see like on the wire you know yeah. like it, it's like it it, it it was it's something that really hadn't really been done before and and, and you know it's we're talking about that opening scene and essentially what I, it, like, I, I just want to kind of think about what it must have been like for moviegoers to see that scene for the first time, to see the, I mean, because it's, it's, it's unapologetically brutal. I mean, even today, it, it, it it's, it, like, it, 
the whole marching across to sing, you know, we shall gather at the river, the song that they use a lot in the searchers. Cause fuck the searchers. Uh, <laughs> Richard's but, uh, favorite hobby horse. To beat uh, up yeah, on. Well, I always told Russell yep. like what crash is to Borif. <laughs> the searchers is for me, you know, yeah. like it, it's, it is, it, it, it's, it's, it, it is always considered the best Western. And I think the wild bunch kicks the shit out of the searchers in the Western department in just yeah. about every aspect of what you would require from a Western. Um, it, it's, it's not the best John Ford Western. It's not the best John Ford, John Wayne Western. It's, it, it, it is, yeah, I, I, I watched it again recently just to make sure I still hated it. And, um, and uh, yep, it's true. It's so what's the but, best yeah, one? Is it stage what, coach? It, 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 what's the uh, best my, John uh, Wayne the, stage Sam Peckinpah's favorite Sam Peckinpah's the, Sam Peckinpah. Cause he also thought the searcher sucked shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, Sam Peckinpah's favorite John thought his best uh, John Ford film was uh, My Darling Clementine. That was oh. what the one he thought was the best one. My favorite is Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. I think that one fucking rules. Also uh, starring okay. Strother Martin. And, oh, uh, oh, and, can we talk and, about that? Yeah, like, there's so many character actors in there, especially Strother Martin. Well, and, let me let me let me finish up. Let me just put a button no, on sorry. the beginning, just because you kind of brought yeah, up a, a nice visual of the first time seeing this movie in 1969. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. what 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 too many of modern audiences I think will get lost on is the historical context of when this movie came out. 1969, there wasn't a lot of bloodshed in movies. Um, it, it, the bloodshed you see today if you watch it with modern eyes, it can seem quaint. The tension's there. You feel the, you're on the edge of your seat with it, but the violence itself isn't what necessarily jars you as it did in 1969. Sure. Um, and I, so, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Zach, go I, I, for it. I think, uh, you know, and additionally, like the way the violence is, the, during that first scene, a lot of the violence is seen through the eyes of children. There's a lot of shots of children watching this violence happen. And in a connection to The Wire again, a few scenes later, children are pretending to do a shootout, having just seen like this horrific Main Street shootout where dozens of people were murdered, uh, just immediately begin emulating it, which is similar to how Omar inspires kids in in The Wire. That's Um, absolutely, Zach. And bonus point for you, sir. Uh, because you <laughs> okay, made the wire peck and paw connection there because okay. I because I, I mean it is that that to me that opening shot I mean that whole that sequence that, that we, because of all that it's explaining and all that it showed to me that is like case in point to where I don't see how anyone could look at what Sam peck and paw did with the wild bunch when I'm talking the wild bunch uh, and call it gratuitous because he was trying to say something I mean, like all that violence and everything of that nature was trying to it wasn't doing it just because he thought it'd be cool to see blood coming out of a guy for the first time he was doing it because it well he was he was trying to be it was a catharsis it was he was trying to show this is what it looks like folks are you sure you want it and what the hollywood what the public told him was yeah yeah we do yeah, yeah. Some of that. Maybe. Yeah, I think, I, I think this one definitely led to like the, the rise of the the action films of the eighties with the the For sheer sure. body count. This uh, is it's funny. It is really funny with this one when we're talking about the first time you've seen it or the first time people saw this. Um, I originally this, the first time I saw this it was two thousand two. I was in college in Chicago at the time. Uh, I took one semester up there, and it was in that dawning era before you could get anything. So you would hear about these movies, and then it was almost impossible to find them. So I actually, th- yeah. go ahead. Uh, I actually think this is uh, an important point. Uh, I wanted to bring this up early in the, uh, the episode. Where, what is your history with Peck and Paw, each of you individually? I think it might 
be useful for the audience to know how much experience we have with this director. Yeah. Since this is the first time we're talking about a single individual instead of a broad theme. I, I'm really yeah. easy. I'm really easy. My experience with Peck and Paw is the Wild Bunch. Uh, unlike Richard, who was right next door to me in college, he yeah. would, you know, hole up in his I room. I lived in the same house. Right, yeah. Um, and he would watch. Yeah, he did, I remember there was a weekend he would just devour mm-hmm. Peck and Paw movies. My experience was kind of different because, like I said, the first time I saw it was 2002. So I saw this one and then I saw Straw Dogs. So it was like these two films. And then once I saw Straw Dogs, I was kind of like, I don't know if I really like this guy's stuff. So I didn't watch any of the stuff again ever since. I haven't seen another Sam Peckinpah in all the years since. So that's like 20 years ago and me seeing it again. I will say, since you guys were talking about the violence earlier, everybody told me how violent this movie was. But I had just seen a bunch of Takashi Miike films at the oh, same okay. time right before this. So when people were saying this was violent, I'm like, yeah, but everyone keeps their nipples in this movie. It's not that bad. <laughs> you know? Uh, like, yeah. Briefly, but- uh, I should say, uh, I my experience with Peckinpah is that in high school, probably, you know, when I was a sophomore or junior, I saw Straw Dogs. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, I don't think, and I never watched it. I mean, I, I wasn't necessarily against watching another of his movies, but I was like, if this is the tone, it's just not a tone I'm in the mood for very often. And I never got around to watching another one. Straw Dogs is it. like a rough, that's a rough intro to yeah. Peck and Paw. Well, it's, that is, that's, it, well, that's, it's that's, weird that's how this guy, it's weird how this guy fits in. Like, cause this guy was working about the same time, I think as Sam Fuller. So like you have these, like you have these two guys who wrote really intense characters, but kind of a different take on it like it seemed like sam fuller was a little more i mean sam peckinpah was considered i mean when the wild bunch came out i mean well i mean not even pre-wild bunch i mean you have to understand sam peckinpah when he made the wild bunch okay before he made the wild bunch he was essentially blacklisted uh from hollywood he i mean because he had made ride the high country which was a huge hit i mean it was considered a it was because uh and uh it was but the main reason was a big hit is because uh margaret o'sullivan made sure of that um, uh, and Bennett had Joel McCray and Randy Scoff, and it was a really, really good film. Uh, but he, I mean, Sam Peckinpah, as if anyone who learns any sort of biography about him, his biography is Sam Peckinpah v. Producers. Um, he just, he never, ever, he, he never wanted anyone to tell him. But when he, when he started coming out with like, especially after the Wild Bunch and everything of that nature, he was compared to Kubrick. I mean, like he, people considered him yeah, like uh, like uh, as, as one of the up and comers. Yeah, yeah. Arthur, yeah he, he, they, he was really considered to be one of the up and comers. Uh, that's what got him Major Dundee, and Major Dundee was ultimately one of the nails in his coffin in the '60s because he nuked everything. And it wasn't until he made this made-for-TV fi- adaptation of a Catherine Porter film uh, story called Noon Wine with uh, Jason Robards and Olivia De Havilland. Uh, that everyone everyone kind of got onto it, and then they adapted this uh, screenplay. Actually, I heard an interesting fact that apparently the idea for the Wild Bunch, Waylon uh, Waylon Green, I think I can't remember the Waylon Green. That's his Waylon name. Green. Uh, Waylon Green was really good friends with this stunt actor who is also at the time known as the Marlboro Man. And <laughs> the Marlboro Man uh, went to Waylon Green and told him the story of these true to life characters, and thought it'd be a really good idea for a movie. Uh, 
and yeah. Right. And, and, and it's a funny part is at the same time, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid just correct. been purchased. Yeah, and it actually Goldman. forced Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid to change their name from the wild bunch. Cause they, that was the name of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid gang, the wild. Bunch. Right. But you, I mean, you were talking about the return of Peckinpah wild bunch is kind of that. Cause he, it I is. didn't know, I didn't know he was making the Cincinnati kid. See, oh, yeah, was, he, yeah. He had been he fired, got fired from, from that movie. Yeah. Yep. He had been fired. He was, he was originally hired and, he couldn't get along with producers and it's it, it, a lot. I mean, he's and he got no credit for anything and everything of that nature. He got a writing credit for this one. But um, this and this is an interesting kind of inside baseball thing. But in terms of like the writers union, in terms of this is around the same time where like directors getting writing credit was a big point of contention for the writers guild at the time. Um, uh, and the writer, the screenwriter for, I think it was the wild bunch. He it said, was the wild bunch. Yeah. That's yeah, how he, he got nominated. Yeah. For, he for said, yeah. And he said, uh, you know, he always thought because the rule ended up being like the director had to change like certain percentage of this, of the script in order to count for credit. And the screenwriter's like, see, that doesn't make any sense. Some, a, a, a guy can come in and change a line and completely change the, the way the story is going to go. You know, does that mean he doesn't get a, a, even a credit for that? Um, uh, so anyway, I just thought that was an interesting thing, but it, it, it like they shopped this around and it took them forever, but it was just one producer in, uh, who I can't remember the studio, uh, but it was one producer that, that said, I'll, t- I want Peckinpah to make the wild bunch. It was after this noon wine thing. It was, uh, I think it was MGM, but yeah, like they, it, um, yeah. MGM, and yeah. So like it, it Peck, this is kind of his kind of return. So similar to kind of uh color out of space, you know, we're seeing this kind of pariah of Hollywood kind of emerge coming back into it. And I think what's interesting about this movie is that Hollywood itself is starting to change. You know, the, the industry itself is starting to, the That's studio correct. system is starting to crumble around. Yeah. The well, last picture like the- winner for the year that the wild bunch came out was midnight Cowboy. I mean, I mean, that's yeah. like that's that's the sign of things mm. that is going to happen. Yeah, well, this is around the time that the flip for uh, the auteur theory happened, right? With yeah. the French Bingo. New Wave, Bingo. and then everyone suddenly yep. realized that Alfred Hitchcock was a big deal, as opposed to just the guy who would directed all those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, actually, I have a question on this since you guys um, have. I think uh, most of the people uh, on this are a little bit more in the dark about Sam Peckinpah, but. I do know about uh, some of the influences he's had, uh, for instance, on Mandalorian uh, season one, when the big Gatlin gun comes out. Outside of that, I'm not super familiar with references to Sam Peckinpah outside of hearing the names of his movies and connection with music and other things. So like what like Tarantino films, would you say that's probably the biggest? I I would even say I, I would even say I don't know if Cormac McCarthy would admit this. But there's a lot of themes in Cormac McCarthy's literature that are very similar to the Wild Bunch. I would have loved to see Peck and Paw adapt a McCarthy. Yeah, novel, yeah, yeah I mean, I, 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 McCarthy was a little later than than Peck and Paw was, but but also, I mean, have you ever played that Red Dead Redemption Two video game, Chris? Because that Not is yet. very much like the Wild Bunch. Not yet. It's the thing is, is that it uh, much, much like a lot of things in my life. If it takes too long, I can't get into it. The fact that you got to get on a horse and it doesn't have a motor and you can't just yeah, rev the horse to go faster. Yeah, yeah. You gotta, that is most of that game. You got to commit to that shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Every time Sarah would come out, and watch me play that game. It was seeing the butt of a horse going. That's that game. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, I think the reason why Peckinpah matters, especially for the Western, I mean, he's associate. He didn't only do Westerns, but that's what he's mostly known for, as I understand it. But I think when you watch the Wild Bunch, you could definitely see why his imprint 
is significant um, because it not only the stripping away the romance of it, but also the characterizations of them. Like the, there's no real redeemable character right. in this movie. But um, everyone, everyone blowjobs the searchers for John Wayne being a racist prick for it and never paying for it ever. Um, uh, and, I mean, what? So he didn't kill his niece. What a fucking guy. You know, um, uh, whereas <laughs> like Sam Peckinpah, the, I mean, his whole shtick, I mean, this is a theme for his movies is he wants you to like people who are awful, you know, yeah. I mean, Pike, does he I mean, want you to like them though? This is I what mean, I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Do you because think- the, the, the good guy in the wild bunch is Deke Thornton. Like yes. that's the good guy yeah. in is Deke Thornton is that because Pike's an awful person. Dutch. I mean, the whole crux of the story is is Pike constantly coming to terms with going against what he claims is the most important, which is your work, which is your, your, your bond with your, with your person, with your comrades throughout the movie Mm -hmm. is him going against that, leaving Bo Hopkins behind at the bank. You know, let mean, he does it every single time. And it isn't until my absolute favorite scene in all of movies is when Ernie Borgnine, I call him Ernie, we're pals. Uh, when when he, he's dead now, yeah, I know. <laughs> when he goes like when he goes, he gave his word to a railroad. You know, talking about Dean mm-hmm. Thornton, he said he gave his word to a railroad, and he says it's his word, and and he just goes, that ain't what counts. It's who you give it to. You know, like that. It's that still sends me into fucking goosebumps because it mm-hmm. it. I think at that moment, that's because it's. I, I think a lot of I don't know. I, I just, I'm going to go off on a rant. Right. I, it's, I, it's, I, that I, moment yeah. just to me is a, an encapsulation of everything that Peckinpah is about is that you're constantly seeing these awful people come to terms with their awfulness and it ultimately yeah. pays for it. I think that's, I think that's fair too. Cause even Deke Thornton, you know, one of the striking scenes in the movie is during the train heist when they're, when they send the, the engine, once they get the guns loaded off the train, they send the engine barreling down towards the rest of the train, presumably after their pursuers. Now, Deke Thornton already has a head start on the United States Army. And, you know, he could have turned around and ridden back and maybe stopped the barreling train that's going to kill all these soldiers. But no, their singular purpose is going after Pike Bishop and his gang. Yeah, I mean, even in the scene before that, uh, when he notices before the army does that the trains have been decoupled, um, he looks around, he sees the commander uh, of the unit is asleep and he looks at the <laughs> soldiers and they're like 14 year old kids. Mm-hmm. And he's that just one like, kid just smiling, just, you know, <laughs> and he's basically mm-hmm. like, fuck this. I'm just taking my guys and leaving these, what he probably assumes are liabilities behind because mm-hmm. they're just going to drag him down. and He doesn't give a shit about them anyway. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, like a so completely amoral even, like world. Like all the characters have no. Sure. Uh, y- y- the only thing we have approaching a moral compass is that one guy sticking by his word, and then it's just a constant challenge of how is he going to do even, it. Even Deke's uh, word is like so he mm-hmm. he's got his comrades who are the other bounty hunters who. Early in the movie, we get a glimpse of them like arguing over who killed who and like having no regard for the carnage they've caused. They're terrible people, and. Um, at the end of the movie, he sends them on their way, seemingly aware that they're going to get ambushed and killed on the way back. And he just doesn't give a shit. And even then, he's like, my word was I'd send them back. I did that. <laughs> I'm fucking done. <laughs> so like, he fulfilled right. his obligation to the minorest degree and was like, that's it. I did. Uh, it. Even, even Pike out. tries to ties the hedge it a little bit where he said, look, I promised him boxes of guns. I said nothing about a machine gun. 
but I'll give it to you because I'm nice. You know, like, I, I, and, and even that, like, I, I, I wanted to ask Richard because he probably knows this. I mean, from what I understand, Sam Peckinpah was somewhat of a tyrant on set. Um, uh, and, and to the point to where the editor even noticed that William Holden playing Pike Bishop would pick up on Peckinpah's mannerisms and that, Peckin, that he played Pike like Peckinpah, that Peckinpah uh, is Pike. Yeah, I mean, so I think one of the, of of Sam Peckinpah's productions, uh, the Wild Bunch actually ran relatively smoothly. Um, uh, relatively, of course, for any right. Sam Peckinpah film, only eleven days over but schedule. But <laughs> Sam Peckinpah was not a method director. Okay, he was not the his he, like that. Yes, and he directed Dustin Hoffman, like Mister Fucking Method, right? Um, uh, but he he uh, he. he it, it, he was a tyrant. He absolutely was. I mean, anyone who says, but it's a lot of times he would do that to kind of train these crew. His idea was, I'm going to break these people down and then rebuild them to work for me. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny. He did that. He mm-hmm. did that to get performances out of actors. He did that to make sure his crew got him exactly what he wanted to the point where the, his, his little gang of misfits uh, were able to anticipate what Sam was going to want and give it to him to so the point where that famous walk scene that famous at the end where they're walking and it's just so fucking cool i mean in the script it's just you know pike and gang walk to thing you know but sam peckinpah one morning after his b12 shot you know said you know like i'm you know like uh, you know he dreamed up this whole walk sequence and everyone put it together beautifully you know, it was completely made up right then and there that day. So, yeah, he did that, but he did that as, I think, a crew control method. I'm not condoning it, but that's just, you know, well, what he did. And also, he was a massive alcoholic. I mean, he could not direct sober. Mm-hmm. Like, he couldn't. I mean, so it's that, like that didn't help things, and it didn't help things that a lot of the other members of the Wild Bunch also, you know, Bill Holden was no teetotaler, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> well, it's funny, you mentioned that. They, uh, in preparation for this, I went out and I watched some interviews with people who were actually involved with the Wild Bunch, and one of them was a stunt coordinator. Oh, um, man, who I, I think I saw I that know, one. <laughs> yeah, where the guy described being fired by Sam Peckinpah, where he, uh, you've already heard this one, Richard, but what happened is, is that basically he didn't want to put on a fake beard because it was put on with like uh, some sort of like cement that was like rubber cement or something that was really like spirit gum. It was just spirit gum. (laughs) It was just screwing up his face. It looks stupid. The guy knew it looked stupid and he knew he was a stunt coordinator or stunt like performer and he just needed to get the job done. They weren't going to see his face. So he just wouldn't put it on. Uh, And eventually Sam Peckinpah fired the guy because he's like, if the guy's not going to do it, fuck him, get rid of him. So the guy comes around to rock, gets pissed off, starts yelling at Sam Peckinpah, like while ripping this like spirit gum, like beard off his face saying, you can fire me all you want, but give me a goddamn ride home right now. And uh, he was not fired. The guy kept working on Sam Peckinpah movies consistently after that. Uh, And he said he only talked to Sam Peckinpah like maybe three or four times privately outside of that. Hmm. Yeah, it's his his own producer describes like Sam Peckinpah. One of the things he liked to do to pass the time away was just throw knives at shit. You know, like they would so to the point where like the studios would just like, hey, do you got any sets with doors? Because this guy's just you know, so like they would just bring old set doors and just sit there and throw a knife at him. They do it in his office or whatever. And one time, his producer tells a story of one time how they got in an argument, 
and you know some words were exchanged or whatever and he was walking out of it and he could feel sam throwing the knife and this guy thought you know what this guy thought not holy shit this guy just threw a knife at me he thought do not give this guy the satisfaction of having that knife land right next to me and going the you know doing and luckily it just bing doom doom tinked on the floor and so he just th- picked it up and threw it back at sam peckabaugh see see sam some days you just can't do anything right you know yeah it's it, it, that's, i think that's that means a that, i think it's it's indicative of the time it's indicative of the kind of guy that he was i mean he sam peckinpah was he was a he was a guy from the west you know not the south i mean this is there's this is a western guy i mean he comes from a family of lawyers you know there's a fucking mountain named after his family Mount Peckinpah, you know, it's an actual thing. That's named after his family. Comes from a family of lawyers and judges, you know. Um, uh, and so he he just had this kind of, I don't know, you it, like this kind of rugged Western kind of like, you know. It's funny that he's such a, it, it sounds like he's such a cliche of that romanticized John Wayne type of character. But most of his Western, or at least the Wild Bunch that I've seen now is such a kind of throwing dust in the face of that um you know because I, I think that you know there's i think there's a tendency for film directors and it's too easy to lean into to become sort of a petty tyrant to run your sets and that's how you feel like that's how your set's going to run as a well-oiled machine um this is going to be coming out much later but it the the tom cruise rant about the COVID 19 protocols on this mission impossible set uh, i understand the passion and i i sort of understand where he's coming from but you know it is a job you know and i, I understand the marketing I understand yeah, the marketing right. for Tom Cruise. Oh, yes, thank yes, you. That's, that's right. Thank you. Everyone remembers you. his yeah. overwhelming heroics, or heroics, <laughs> saving some kid from getting crushed in a maw of paparazzi. Yep, good thank old, you. good old, helpful yeah. Tom. That's right. Thank you so much. While the Mission Impossible music plays, but anyway, that, mm-hmm. my point is, is that like uh, William Holden threatened to walk off the set of this movie because of how bad he was treating his crew members. I mean, like, I it do was, think that that's part of the reason why this why the shoot went so well. I wanted to say that by the way is because Bill Hold, William Holden did not put up with a lot of shit. I mean, he actually said, if you speak to a crew member one more time like that, you and I are going to actually fight. Uh, it's yeah. So I wanted to, I did want to say that it was full of actors that were not going to put up with that shit. You know, yeah, even more nine wouldn't. I mean, because a, a lot. I mean, like it's funny because it sounds like he shopped around the role of Pike Bishop to just about everybody. Um, and it's funny outside of the main outside outside of his stable of sort of side characters, he doesn't have a lot of repeat performances. It doesn't seem like from people. Like he doesn't get like William Holden's ever worked with him again. Or Ernest Borgnine, I think, showed up in Convoy or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I um I so it's it's. Well, I mean, he, it's mostly a side character. So, like, L.Q. Jones and Strother Martin, you know, the two henchmen uh, who were totally gay. And even Sam <laughs> Peckinpah said, yep, I, that was my intention and I loved it. I thought it was awesome. Okay. Yeah, the two henchmen, the two henchmen, the two... The liar! Yeah, no, yeah, well, it's, you know, it was something in the subtext. But you look at, look at them now as kind of a romantically gay couple... You know, huh. it, a lot of that relationship kind of makes a lot of sense I did. because a lot of that Get stuff that was from watching it. Yeah, a lot of that's well, a lot of that stuff was improv between the two. But like LQ Jones is a lot of character actors. It was the most, but his mostly his mostly band of actors was like James Coburn, um, uh, Jason. I know Robards. later it was McQueen. Uh, no, only he, he only worked with McQueen. Well, he worked with McQueen twice, uh, okay. one after the other, and then after the getaway, 
no more. Because okay, McQueen, no notorious mm. pain in the ass to work with. Uh, mm. So, and and of course, Peckinpah was no saint himself to work with. So, I mean, so, Peckinpah. He, well, anyway, I'm just gonna go off on rants again. Well, yeah. well, you brought up you brought up the actors. So I have a question: Who in this movie is actually in the Wild Bunch? So to me, the Wild Bunch are William Holden, Ernest Borgnine, uh, Warren Oates, Ben Johnson, and Edmund O'Brien. Those are the Wild Bunch. That's so, the and and Angel. And Angel. I can't remember who played Angel. The guy who was like a TV actor. But that guy. It was no, Jaime, Jaime Sanchez. Um, oh, thank you. So my thing is I would just wonder about that because you got like Sykes, you got Clarence Crazy Lee who dies in the first scene. Mm-hmm. You got Deke Thornton who I would argue might become a member of the Wild Bunch again after everybody else is dead because he's invited by Sykes to go. So I'm wondering if it dies at the end or is this a like a concept? Well, I, here, because here's my thing. I mean, what makes Deke Thornton and his ragtag bunch of bounty hunters not the Wild Bunch? I mean, are they 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 act almost exactly like the Wild Bunch? They're there. You know, there's a great shot at yeah, the they're end where they're picking over all. The, well, they're it's clear. Peckinpah compares yeah. them to buzzards. It's clear mm. Peckinpah it compared them to vultures, you know, because I mean, he does. It's not subtle at the end. I mean, there's vultures all around the dead bodies and Strother Martin and LQ Jones are just picking gold teeth out of corpses. Um, so like, but they're just as much as the wild bunch as Pike's band is. So I think there's kind of a gray line there of what is the wild bunch. The wild yeah. bunch, I think, is the era that is ending. Yeah, I mean, and technically by the end, uh, Sykes and Thornton, um, and you could debate, I mean, you could also, yeah, it would be perfectely reasonable to call the Federales the Wild Bunch. Sure, exactly, Mapache, absolutely. But, but uh, you know, at the end, one of the main differences is Thornton and Sykes are no longer these just outlaws in it for their own interest. They have joined a tangible cause because well, I mean, yeah it, it's it, it like it's at, at the end right when yeah. when pike lights mapache up and they're i mean they all went in expecting to die they all of them all every single one of them you know to the i mean i love that scene of him coming out of the you know the whorehouse when they're arguing over two or That's, three pesos that, i wanted to kind of talk about the the prelude to that too because there's a long moment of silence of william holden kind of getting dressed and he's listening to his crew member kind of harass the the prostitutes and he notices that there's a little child uh that this prostitute that he presumably just slept with has and and she's kind of nonchalant about it and he hands her money and she seems very strange about it like it wasn't like she didn't think she was a pro really yeah he overpaid her that was that i I thought that maybe she wasn't a prostitute no 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 she was most definitely a prostitute the amount of prostitutes in this movie the the prostitutes that get in the wine that that swim around with the gorge brothers actual prostitutes can i just Um, uh, briefly say uh this is something i want to think about going forward again i haven't seen um i haven't seen straw dogs in many 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 years uh but I obviously remember the fate of the wife who I, if I'm guessing if I rewatched that movie, I would get the impression that she's sort of an angelic oh, it's, figure. It's, it's exactly. Gets, yep. Yeah, no. And yeah. it's, it's, it, it, so it's, it's I'm pretty awfully so far done seeing too. from Peck and Pa a very Frank Miller take on women. And, and I'm it, curious. It, this to see is how definitely his least rapey film. I would say <laughs> I think it, like, outside bit. of Ballad of Cable Hogue, I think that and, and maybe Convoy, fella, I think this was his least rapey film. That fella at the beginning, even when he has the hostages in the ra- station, oh, like, yeah. 
Yep. Is that was creepy. that was like, not an actress that, that he did that to. That was actually a local librarian that Sam Peckinpah told Bo Hopkins to tongue kiss her ear to get that reaction. That's the kind of guy Sam. So when you say Sam Peckinpah wasn't a tyrant, he was more than a tyrant. He was kind of a cult leader. Like to get Holy the shit. he did not agree. He did not. He was kind of like John Cassavetes, and in, 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 that he was he was out to grind you into the performance that he wanted you to get wanted to get out of you and it wasn't always by giving specific direction you know but he was not what you would call a method director even though like he did a lot of shit that method directors do you know it's weird the misogyny that's a common, yeah. that's yeah, a common producer uh, that tick the, that I've noticed that the misogyny of Sam Peckinpah yeah. is something I'm going to oh, be noticing it, and, and, and like I said yeah. this this is a, this is tame I mean, oh it, of, of of Sam. I mean, like, look, I, I like Sam Peckinpah is one of my favorite directors, but I make no apologies for the guy, you know, especially for the way he portrayed. I mean, he I think it's it, the most charitable you can be to Sam Peckinpah is that he has a complicated understanding of women, you know, <laughs> like he has he has a complicated relationship with what a man is supposed to be with a woman. And honestly, most of his films, you see that kind of complication and that conflict played out often really all to really terrifying and horrifying results. Uh, but yeah, it, it's the, and, and that is that scene in the wine barrel. That is the most rapey of it. But that, again, those were actual prostitutes. And I wouldn't, I, I, I think that, uh, but, oh man. Yeah. I, I think I, most I, of the, most of this film actually is pretty outside of the librarian in the start. I think most of these ladies have uh, a fair say in yeah, what's yeah. going on. Uh, except for yeah, the lady but who gets again, shot. It is what like I say when I say the Frank Miller version of women. I mean there is mm-hmm. prostitutes and then there yes. are angelic ladies who get assaulted yeah. and raped. Yep. and that's yeah. about the only kind of women there. Are. And even yeah. Yeah, it's it, to, I mean I wouldn't say I'd say that Sam Peckinpah's relationship with the women is slightly more nuanced than Frank Miller's and Zack Snyder's. Um, <laughs> I mean that's a low bar to clear. Yeah, that is very low bar. It's, <laughs> like I, I think that it. Because like uh, even the the complication with Angel and his 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 girlfriend when he kills her, it's not that he that she was like it. it we it, it was more of showing how insane Angel was about the girl because everyone was telling her no, dude, because she seemed happy with Mapache. She actually took delight in in the way Sam Peckinpah treats it, and this is sort of what I'm talking about, the complicated relationship with women, is that he she sort of took this sort of impish, you know, kind of delight at Angel's suffering at watching her kind of, you know, be all over Mapache, you know, and, and that's, a recur- that's a troubling... Um, view of women that is revisited in well let's just say in that, straw dogs yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Straw dogs, is a, yeah straw dogs Angel's, is a very uncomfortable thing because it it starts out oh, okay. as boring as there's shit. a question yeah. there's a real yeah it there's a, a shift in the center Angel's of that scene that's incredibly in uncomfortable that regard because he does seem in some ways to be the most moral character his death is like obviously yeah. it feels like the kind of thing where his death is like he's the purest of our group and we have to avenge him he's helping his town like he is the only one who yeah. has like goals outside of himself but he also is like straight up just shoots a woman for not staying with him right yeah. so it's it, and he has no compunction about again blowing shotgun shells into a temperance parade you know, yeah. has no thinks doesn't even think twice about it. You know. Yeah. Well, and that's even like Pike Bishop is such a you, and the way Holden plays him is so great because oh, he yeah. has no sympathy. I mean, there is no that guy does not care. Um, I mean, and will get angry to imply that you should care. 
um, he and, and right from the start, it's the first line he fucking says almost. And and it's great. Peckinpah sort of does a, a a one over on you at the beginning where he, they help a kindly old lady. You know, after like they bump into her, she drops. Oh, after me, ma'am. Ernest Borgnine's like the chummy, sort of lovable Marty character that he's so good mm-hmm. at playing, and then immediately goes into the banks. And if they move, kill him. Um, you know, like it's it's that's what I think changed it. That's Peck and Paw's stamp on the American westerns is this completely unsympathetic protagonist that you're going to follow, and indeed uh, feel some tenderness towards. Um, you're gonna, it, it, if not just because his lack of morals, when Peckinpah demonstrate that he at least likes to think that he has a moral, and then that moral is challenged and he's forced to betray it not once, not twice, but thrice. Um, and then he decides that there's life's not worth living anyway, so I'm gonna die by this code. It's, that's if I'm why gonna I, die, I, I'm gonna die by this moral. Do you guys feel that the Wild Bunch yeah, is nihilistic? Yeah. To add, I'm glad you kind of asked that, Richard, and it's a wonder why we're twins, because I literally thought the same thing as I'm watching this, that, like, there's a lot of nihilistic, you know, amoralism that is prevalent throughout this film. But like I said, I, I, the reason why it isn't is because of the call to action at the end when they avenge Angel, basically, or go to rescue him. Um, that's what kind of makes it not. So I think yes and no. I don't know. How about that? Cop out. I uh, I think my my opinion would be so we mentioned early in the episode how, in my opinion, the biggest signifiers of technological advancement in the future are used in horrifying ways in this. There's even a brief mention of airplanes and how they plan to use them in the war, which I assume means the brewing World War One. Um, I th- and the storm coming at the end. I honestly think that this movie is like. This era of the world, even though there were amorous, amoral people, uh, is done. They had their small-scale weapons and their small-scale goals and their selfish dreams, but ultimately the meat grinder of the 21st century with its world wars and its holocausts and its horrors is looming on the horizon, uh, I do think is a little nihilistic in that sense. I think um, I'm going to take the odd man out on this i don't know if it's totally nihilistic because the characters essentially are all tied into a selfish notion of what they want to get but then at the end they actually have to show up and uh, like fight mapache and it's a potentially revenge and things like that but it seems like the arc of it is that people will slowly uh work out the darker parts of their nature once society is introduced like as you were as you're kind of getting into it like the temperance uh, group at the very beginning they're introduced almost as like a a comedy foil in that sequence because it happens after the turn like you introduce the characters and they all look like good guys until you suddenly find out oh those are just costumes and these guys are criminals even Um, even the machine gun yeah. Is used in a humorous manner when when Mapache's men don't know to put it yeah. on a fucking tripod and it just mows everything down and everybody has to duck cover and then they stop sequence, it and then yeah. they laugh and it's all funny mm-hmm. ha 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 you know so I don't know it comedy is very strange in this comedy in, in this movie is very strange yeah um, <laughs> yeah yeah I, I mean, I, very black comedy it's very strange. I guess. I mean, like it's it's. The, but some of the comedy scenes are so broad and goofy. It's almost yeah, yeah. Like they're they're laughing about like you know. I just met a prostitute and now we're getting married. <laughs> you know, like it, 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 
It, it, it is so, but I mean, I, I, you can kind of forgive it because it's it's done somewhat sparingly, but it does kind of take you out of it. You're all kind of like, well, that, this is an odd note to to leave that scene on. <laughs> um, I mean, what the heck else would you do? Like, you gotta, it's it's a grim ass movie. Like, if you don't yeah, have some laughs in there, you're just watching like I don't know. Uh, you're watching like a a, a Sam Fuller movie, that's basically. True. That's true. Yeah, I mean, now yeah, you do have to have and. and you do have to have kind of these moments of levity just because, you know, you have to kind of like these people, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, and I maintain, obviously, in particular, Lyle tends to be the butt of the joke. Like, when they pass around the drink... The tequila bottle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah specifically yeah. avoiding him until it's all gone and then just laugh at his misfortune. And, I mean, he has a lot of goofy prostitute shenanigans um, and doesn't know what tandem means and things like that. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that, that's and and there's a lot of like, you know, especially with women, there's a lot of like groping and sort of like harassing them as a means of humor. A lot and, of drinking and, and groping. Those are the two. Yeah, main I didn't right. say like, no rape. I just said least raping. I didn't, okay. I didn't say there was none. I just said you know. But that that scene with the bottle that had to be a true story for Peckinpah. That happened to him, right? That's and he thought that that would be really what a what a what a bunch of yucks. And we I could don't throw know it if that was film. actually in the original screenplay or not. You know, because okay. I mean, because Peckinpah he. he 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 started as a television writer, you know, so he was a writer. Um, uh, but he, most of the sc- movies he made were already written screenplays that people had purchased and said, "Hey, Sam, do you want to direct this?" And he, he he'd almost always need to get into the screenplay and and add that kind of stuff. I don't know if that was in the original okay. screenplay or not. I just uh, that felt like a knowing Peck and Paul's affinity for the sauce for sure. Yeah, you know, I thought that that <laughs> what that might have been a true story. Yeah. Um, I think that. Do you think the comedy in The Devil's Rejects uh, is based off this? I would say so. Maybe. Because there's, I mean, there's an entire scene where they go and get ice cream, and it's something in between the characters. Like, they have all these scenes of, like, very mundane emotional connections between people. They're doing people. the there's... cat's cradle with the kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or even things where it's like the characters are introduced and they challenge each other in ways where you get to know them better by how they don't like each other. Like the fact that like Deke hates, hates both of the guys he works with, but he's stuck with them. So it's like you immediately get, at least for me, I remembered every blue collar job I ever had where I didn't like people, but you show up because it's work and you need the money. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It seemed like they introduced a lot of characterization with this through action and things like that. It was really nice. The, mm-hmm. the dialogue was, spa- was sparse. I mean, again, you think about that last scene where, you know, I mean, it's in, if John Ford or any other typical Western, they would have a whole dialogue scene regarding let's go get Angel. You know, oh, they would have I, a whole I mean, back and forth with 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 Sam Peckinpah. It was just let's go. You even know? the 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 immediate comparison to this movie is Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid. That movie's dialogue is is wonderful. Yeah, I mean it's it's it's, yeah. it's it's wonderful dialogue, and it's the thrust of the movie. And and they're not really similar. I, I've always you always get that kind of image in your head that they're similar. And they are similar in that they kind of have a doomed ending, to, and there's this kind of yeah. end of an era about it as I well. Mean, but they're, they're, they're similar in a lot of other aspects. I mean, they are based off of the same people. So you're naturally going to get a narrative spine that is going to mirror each other in that. But it, that's about where it ends. There's like there's like a narrative foundation that they share with Wild Bunch and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. But that's about it. I, 
I also, yeah, I mean, to me, much more so than Butch Cassidy, and I mentioned this earlier, but I think uh, Leon's films remind me, this reminded me more of Leon's films than it did of Butch Cassidy. Yeah, it, well, and it's it, one of the reasons why, and and you guys, it, one of the reasons, one, one of the reasons that that this ha- this movie in particular uh, is ranked up there with the Leon flicks in terms of these things were the sort of one two shot that killed the western. I mean, you think about the the western as a movie as a movie and making franchise but i mean it i mean we think superhero movies are bad i mean back in the day i mean you could make 10 westerns in two months yeah. you know including I mean, a tv serial if you needed to i mean it, it was, was westerns and musicals ran ran right. the town for a good while. yeah and westerns were way preferable to way cheaper people because it was way cheaper to make than those big musicals then you have the wild bunch coming out at the same year as hello fucking dolly which you also know, killed of, the musical. Which yeah, which all yeah, it, it's which killed the musical and and damn near killed Hollywood. Um, uh, and it really that, I mean, that was the movie that you had the Wild Bunch and Midnight Cowboy and Butch Cassidy and all these other things, and then you had Hello Doll, which still got all the nominations because Hollywood's gonna Hollywood then as in as now. Sure, it, but it's uh, you know, I mean, it, yeah. There's a reason Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is set in 1969. I think right. indeed, like the end of the old Hollywood system. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. I haven't seen yeah. that yet. Oh, really? Oh, well. I mean, like, it, you it, haven't seen it, it yet. Yeah, it, it's the, fun. The the sheer canyon of shit it's that Boraf hasn't seen, okay. but that the weird shit that <laughs> I fills know, that exactly. Canyon the movies is, that Boraf you know, has like, seen versus the movies that Boraf hasn't seen makes me sick to my fucking stomach. I, I mean, like, you know, I, I, yeah, it, it's it's a constant point. I mean, it's it's kind of my brand, guys. It's kind of my brand. <laughs> <laughs> um. Cool. Well, I, I, think I can't we can... wait till we get to Borif's pick, and he's gonna be like, "You said peck and paw, but what about pecking and pie?" I guess on, on that note, we can go through final thoughts. Um, sure. Um, yeah, I, I guess uh, Borif, why don't you go first, since you never get to go first on final thoughts? Well, this one was interesting to return to as an adult. When I first saw it when I was younger, um, I was 19 or 20. Uh, so I think that at the time I had just been introduced to the concept of the uh, the hero's journey and all that stuff. So the paint by numbers, taking apart every movie thing was still fresh in my head. And I wasn't able to really enjoy the movie properly because I was watching it going, oh, is this the moment when blah, blah, blah happens? Is this the is this the center? Is this the uh, inciting incident and all that? Um, watching it as an adult, I actually enjoyed it a lot more. But it's because I also appreciate dark characters a lot more than I used to um, and it's also like I think I understood what was happening better because a lot of this stuff if you don't know why an anti-hero is cool or why it works it makes these films very confusing so I thought it was pretty awesome to see that I still think that while people do talk about the violence in this it's actually kind of tame in terms of like modern standards like what you actually see happening is pretty tame the actions on screen and the meaning behind them is still very harsh uh and very bracing so um i think it was fascinating it was a great movie i'm glad that we got to rewatch it um i am gonna be really irritated when i have to do the judgments on this at the end because it kind of was taking the biggest piece off the board first so I'm going to end this one saying my final thoughts are a little bit, a little bit <laughs> fuck I, Russell. I, I, a lot. I like the movie pretty well. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if uh, if 
Boref tries to hijack one or two points away from uh, from the Wild Bunch and give it to the Rebels to overthrow my <laughs> general Emissimo <laughs> attitude towards this team. Um, I'll go ahead and finish and then we'll have for the rest uh, of the uh, show. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, like I said, I, I this all, I, I, I even even the movie I won with Doctor Strangelove. I mean, I really spiked the ball with that one. I mean, I did anyway. Yeah. Even um, Powers made fun call. of you. Even, even yeah, but Powers even made that. It's like if you want to do like a call, I mean, you're not going to do this one because who's if you want to do Doctor Strange Love? Yeah, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, but I'll do my final thoughts since Zach's uh, picking our next movie in the Peck and Paul pantheon. Hey, we'll give Richard uh, a couple minutes too. Okay, yeah, we can give him a couple minutes um, if you want. I think I've given him more than enough minutes. <laughs> um, but anyway. Um, <laughs> So let me see. Final thoughts. Uh, I can see why this is one of the one of the great westerns. Um, easily one of the great westerns, uh, if not one of the best American movies ever made. I, I really do kind of appreciate when you have a movie like this when its theme matches the context of the times. Because even think about the time it was being made in 1969, violence was becoming more of an everyday thing for most of American society with the Vietnam War and the race riots and what have you. Um, so Peckinpah's kind of punctuating that with this movie, uh, with the brutality of it. Um, yeah, the violence is quaint by by modern standards, I think. Like, the blood doesn't even... That's I mean, like, it, Leonard Maltin even said, like, the gross part about it, he wanted it to look realistic, and it doesn't look realistic at all. I mean, it, there's nothing about any of that violence that looks anything real, but it was meant to sort of be jarring and shocking. Um, I also think it, it's... it, And when it's also punctuated by a new era in Hollywood as well, and that this movie is one of those hinging points in, in the studio system that is also disintegrating. Um, and, and also this might be one of William Holman's uh, best, best roles. Uh, I mean, obviously everybody remembers the first all. That's a deep field. That's a um, deep yeah. Field. I mean, he's got a lot to work with, but this is one of his best. Um, when, I'm, I'm remembering, uh, I, I, I believe, Network. Network is Network. Sabrina, uh, Stalag Seventeen. Great, but Stalag Seventeen is is if you Jesus, poor. Um, you've never seen Stalag Seventeen, really? That I'm just gonna smile at you until you go okay, on. Okay, whatever. <laughs> um, and that's, I, I think that, that that I when when I heard that the editor started to notice that William Holden was playing Peck and Paw, it is sort of a nice motion, nice notion about Peck and Paw's own life where he growing up in the studio system where they were just churning out Westerns like cookie cutters, um, that he's entering an, a new era that unlike Bishop and Dutch and the wild bunch, he's probably more suited to fit into the new era of Hollywood. That's coming up for him. I don't know because I've barely seen any of his films, but that knowing what I learned about the wild bunch and his method of working, he probably would have been better suited in what's coming up in Hollywood rather than what he had to exist with for most of his career. Uh, yeah, uh, Richard, you want to take a couple minutes and then I'll wrap up and do um, our last pick? Sure. Uh, yeah. So as Russell said, it's, and as I've told everyone who will listen about to me, it's one of my favorite films of all time. It, it's, it is to me, uh, one of my favorite quotes about the movie is one of the costume designers went to a screening of the Sam Peckinpah cut of it before they took because originally the, the, the cut that no longer exists that eventually came out was missing the two flashback sequences which imagine that um, uh, it's any reason why Sam Peckinpah like viewed that producer as just a blood enemy after that point because it kind of took out the heart of the movie um, uh, but it's, it's what Sam Peckinpah when he showed it to his costume director he went to the, at the end of it 
you know, he was shaking his hand and Sam Peckinpah just said to him, now they know what killing means, you know, and it, the reason why I say that is because in terms of the reason why I still say the violence is still stark is because it's not necessarily what happens. The, 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 the little juice coming out of him. That's not what makes it jarring. It's the way that Sam Peckinpah presents it and the way that he treats it seriously. When it was apparently a lot more violent in the dailies, when they put together the assembly talk, I mean, we're talking heads coming off and, and arms and everything of that wow. nature. And when they put it together, they found that the audience was laughing. You know, mm-hmm. and that's not what Sam Peckinpah wanted. So he really walked the line of trying to show this, trying to take it, make it as jarring as possible. And that's why I think the violence still kind of sticks with me. It's not necessarily what happens. It's the way that is presented. And it it became that sort of mentality that ultimately defined and really ultimately destroyed Sam Peckinpah's career um, uh, was having to be this violent, bloody thing when he did it as a point. I wanted to bring up one other thing. He was talking in an interview. Apparently, there was a French correspondent in the middle of the Vietnam War who had quoted a soldier who had said that he was thinking of himself as Pike Bishop and the Wild Bunch when he was going massacring civilians in Vietnam. And Sam Peckinpah replied to that as, first of all, not like trying to say, well, that's a you know thing or whatever. He said, yeah, I read that. And he said, I believed in the theory of catharsis, that once we see, once we purge ourselves of this violence, once we see this violence, we'll suddenly be cured from. And hearing that makes everything that I tried to do with the Wild Bunch mean nothing. You know? Ouch. And, and so it, it's it's amazing why the guy, I mean, it's any wonder why the guy was a drink, you know, because <laughs> he ultimately f- saw what was he, what he was trying to say is becoming his ultimate creation of destruction and and feeding into the bloodlust of Hollywood. But to me, it still stands up today because of that kind of harshness and everything of that nature. I don't know. It ages perfectly. It's almost 50. It's over 51. It's like 51 years old. And to me, it still stands up as any against any action movie you put it against. So thanks for having me on. I love it. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll be semi short. I don't think I have much to add to the collection sorry, of cowards. thoughts that uh, I've already come. <laughs> um, definitely, uh, the I mean, uh, I'll say as a genre, westerns are not one that I have paddled deeply into. I've seen some of the bigger name ones, I've seen like the original True Grit, I have seen The Searchers, um, I've seen like uh, like Leon's no name trilogy and once upon a time in the West. Um, uh, I've seen a couple of the other like earlier ones, but that kind of hokum fifties, great romanticized style of Western is just not very appealing to me. And this is much more so. So, uh, I am relieved of that at the very least. Um, yeah, I think it was a, it's a very solid. I understand why it has a, a revered place in the Western genre, uh, a, a movie about eras ending and changing that is, you know, has this fortuitous uh, coin- coincidence with a change in kind of both America and the Hollywood system in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, I, I understand why it's like a piece of it's a relic of its time in many ways that like captures this moment in history, not just the period it takes place, but the period it was created which is fascinating and uh yeah it's uh you know well worth well worth uh well worth seeing um but i'm gonna leave it at that uh okay and going Great. to go 
gonna go ahead and, yeah uh, before before you get out your piece before we let everybody go let's just handle the business and just uh do a little bit of house cleaning so sure. as of now uh chris has three points to give and 10 points to allocate at the voting i've got three points to give and zach has three points to give however richard has two points to give because he gave one point to Zach for Omar We're always the Wire. stingy in the first Re- episode. Uh, referencing the yeah, wire. We are. Referencing we are. the wire. That, that, I mean, and, and rarely does the first movie win. So if that if that's any consolation, that's why I, I, I thought think it's of that too to early that, to create yeah. a pattern. We've only done like four that's rounds. True. That's I mean, true. Yeah. It, it, like I was thinking about this guy's Peck and Paw. This is one of those directors where there is like it like I know there is some debate, but like it, it, this isn't like the Coens or even Spielberg or anything of that nature where like there's a lot of things that can be considered his best. But like the Wild Bunch is almost universally considered Peck and Paw's greatest film, you know. And so for Russell to take it off the board, it, dick move, bro, dick move. I know, I know, it, it was. Um, so anyway, as the final count, as we got for the when we get to when we finish the Peck and Paw pantheon, uh, Borov has ten points, Zach has eleven, and Russell has ten points. So Zach Powers. What are we watching next time? Yeah, so this was interesting because this is the first time in this show's history where, like, I get a topic where I get to choose something and I can look literally at every possible choice because there's a limited number of possible choices. Like, never before (laughs) has that been an option Uh to me. So uh, I thought about it and I read some stuff. And uh, again, I've only seen Straw Dogs before, so I don't have a great pre-knowledge of any of these films. Um, But ultimately, the one that I felt seemed like maybe in the past few years has been getting like a re-consensus as like maybe the dark horse for his actual masterwork that I've seen bandied about. Uh, This is, I I think there's a few contenders for that, but the one that I saw the most, uh, I feel like was Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. Richard, Richard just Fuck. literally punched I the air. Love he that literally movie. just punched oh, the air. Oh my goodness. What's what the hell am I going to pick now, guys? Halo <laughs> la cabeza de Alfredo Garcia. What a fucking title for a movie, right? Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. Yeah. So that'll be what we watch next time. Okay. All righty. Cool. That and is a killer title. I mean, that is a, that is a cool title. It's and, a rough uh, movie. <laughs> We're gonna find out. Thank you, uh, thank you, Richard, for being on the show. We've wanted to have you on, I believe, since we did the first version of the film Concussion way back in the day. So it was nice to have you on today. Um, and if anybody at home could leave a comment about whether you could tell which one was which when they were speaking, that would be entertaining to I think everyone involved. Yes. Maybe we'll see you next time, Richard. Maybe not. We'll see if yeah. that works out or not. We'll just we'll play hope, it by ear. Yeah. We'll play it by um, ear. But uh, yeah, Richard as our resident uh, peck and paw scholar, uh, so to speak. Scholar. And yeah, he probably will show up because I know he when we when I bandied about the peck and paw theme, this is the movie that he mentioned that I should do instead of the wild bunch so um yeah so i I know richard's really excited i'm stoked to see what you guys think of this movie (laughs) uh well thanks again richard for showing up on the movie trap and um we will see you guys next time for the bring me the head of alfredo garcia all right see everybody next time they must be mounted on a tripod
put it on the tripod. <laughs> 